Well, if you have your Bibles, please do turn to Matthew chapter 27, and we will be looking at there. It is Good Friday, and Good Friday is about the cross. Uh, more specifically, it's about the Christ who died on the cross. And so why do we call it Good Friday if this is when uh, we're talking about the death of the Son of God at the hands of wicked men? Isn't that the epitome of bad, not good? Well, humanly speaking, we can, we can see that, but what, what is the meaning of the cross and where do we get the meaning? Is it up to us to decide what the cross means and how do we interpret it? No, we need to see and we're going to do this for the next few minutes, what God's interpretation of the cross is. And that's what we're going to look at in Matthew 27. More than what we think the cross means, we need to know what God says the cross means. And we get what the cross means by listening. And so let's listen in to this scene, the last few breaths of Jesus, and then the aftershocks that follow His death. And so that's the scene. We're in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start in verse 50. But here's, here's the scene. Jesus is his, his hanging on a cross between two criminals. You have these streams of Jewish pilgrims that are there for the Passover. They're passing by and they're mocking, scoffing, as we've been singing, ridiculing and insulting, cursing Jesus. And you see this in verses 38 to 44. They're saying, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Ha, ha, ha. It's all in jest. They're just there's mocking him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. How pathetic. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and then we'll believe in him. Ha <laughs> ha, this is hilarious. Hey, look at it. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he even desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. So, so this is a scene. It's hot. It's bright, middle of the day, it's lively, it's full of all kinds of commotion. And then in verse 45 we see that in the middle of the day, the lights get turned out. And it goes pitch black. God, just for three hours, turns the skies dark. And so what we'll see is the, the greatest suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross, it wasn't physical. It wasn't beatings, it wasn't the nails through His hands and feet and it wasn't that it wasn't just emotional it wasn't the shame of being hung absolutely naked before those crowds of pilgrims going by it wasn't the ridicule the greatest torment jesus faced wasn't at the hands of wicked men but at the hands of holy god and that's what's happening during these three hours of darkness god unleashes on his own son his his furious inflexible unrelenting concentrated wrath upon his own son. And so listen, as, you, as you listen to, to Jesus at the end of this three hour period, just bear in mind that's what's happening and what has happened. This, this darkness, this wrath was for our sin. He stood in our place as we've been singing. So verse 46, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And look down to verse 50, Matthew 27. Final moments, Jesus breathed His last breath on the cross. Verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His Spirit. The last thing Jesus said, according to verse 50, it wasn't, with, it wasn't like a, dying, a whisper under His dying breath. It wasn't a whimper. 
His life didn't just kind of slowly slip away and, and he grew weaker and weaker until he finally became incoherent or something like that. He didn't drift in and out of consciousness because of all the loss of blood and because of the lack of oxygen. And he didn't just kind of finally slip into a, a coma like every other victim of crucifixion had ever had in the history of the world and then die. No, Jesus didn't just die as the inevitable result of the physical torture and trauma that he experienced. Scripture says that Jesus gave His life. He poured it out. He, he laid it down. He's, he's exercising full authority even over His own death. And so the text says that He yielded up His spirit. He was, the, he was sovereign even over his, the timing of His death. John ten seventeen. I lay down my life and I, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And so when, and, and then also notice, when Jesus cried out with this loud voice, it's not just some unintelligible dying shriek, like, ah, and then he, and then he dies. His cry has substance. Now, we, Matthew doesn't record, doesn't show us and tell us what the, the substance, the content of his last loud cry was, but we can go to other gospel accounts and see this. In John 19.30, we see that after Jesus received the sour wine, which Matthew talks about, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. Not I am finished, but it is finished. Everything that the Father gave me to do is done. Atonement has been accomplished. Atonement for sin, it's, it's done, fully accomplished. We say, Jesus paid it all. That's what he's saying there. And you go to Luke 23, verse 46, and and, and, and so Jesus called out to God with a loud voice. That's what Luke says. And then he said, and what does he cry out? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He, so he's, he, he, he had experienced the Father turning his face away from the Son in, in wrath. And now he's fully conscious again of the Father's loving presence. And is this his unbelievable comfort to his soul. And so he trusts his soul to the Father's loving care. And then he dies. And when, what it, so, so as we listen to the Son, what is he saying to us? The, the Son is saying this, mission accomplished. It's done. Done. Never to be added to again. Full atonement. We're saying this. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. So that's the first thing we hear. Is we understand what God is saying to us. How God interprets the cross. It's that mission accomplished. Secondly. Let's listen to heaven. Let's listen to heaven. Verses 51 to 53. So after Jesus breathes his last. And yields his spirit to God. There's nobody there at the cross. To say that Jesus is who he says he is. There's nobody there to, to turn to the mockers and shout, You're wrong! He is the Son of God! He is the Christ, the Messiah! He, he, God does delight in Him! There's nobody there. No human instruments. No human mouthpieces. The disciples, they're scattered in fear. The sons of thunder, James and John. That's not a wrestling duo or something like that. But these were disciples who were known for their uh, kind of just zealous ze zealousness. And they're, they're, they're gone. Peter's gone. So with, so with no human mouthpiece to use, God Himself speaks. 
He, he testifies to his delight of his son and of his acceptance of the son's sacrifice, the atonement that he made. And so he, he gives these three signs that, the, that God is speaking. When I say we listen to heaven, we're listening to God. He's speaking through these signs. And, and, and it's his commentary on the cross, his exclamation points on all that Jesus has just done. And so the first way, that we, thing we need to listen to is he speaks through this veil. And we, we even, there were songs that we sang that alluded to this. Verse 51, look at there with me. And behold, that's a big word in Matthew's gospel. Just look, just get this, see this. You're not going to believe your eyes. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So this massive veil, curtain that stood some 60 feet high and 40 feet wide and 4 inches thick. It's just ripped in two by God. This curtain was this constant reminder of this truth. You are separated from God. You can't get to Him. You're here. He's there. You can't. You can't have him. Keep out. So what does this miraculous event communicate? It says, access is open. It's granted. Come, come in. The barrier between, between you and God, it's, it's removed. And so, so everything in the temple, it communicated this separation. He's here. You can't quite get to him. You're separated from him. He's holy. You're not distance. That's what the that's what everything in the temple, every feature of the temple highlighted this separation. And so you touch the ark, you go into the wrong room, you you open the wrong door, you offer the wrong fire, you use the wrong utensil, you 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 it, grab the wrong hardware, and what? You're dead. You're you're dead. And nothing served to highlight this reality of separation more than this veil. And God himself ripped the veil in two. two. That's, what's, that's why Matthew states it this way. It's from top to bottom. God's saying in this, I want, I want to show the ultimate accomplishment of my, my son's death. Rip. It's gone. The way is open. And Christ, after Christ makes full atonement for sin, cries out with a loud voice, yields his spirit to the God. This massive curtain is ripped right down the middle and and the the, 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 it leaves the Holy of Holies completely exposed. You had this bright daylight, sunlight that's streaming into this place. That is, those walls had never seen anything but dim candlelight. And now it's open. The way is opened. Now you can imagine the commotion that this caused in the temple. I just pictured just like nuclear sirens sounding and everybody scrambling and just panicking and grabbing whatever they can, duct tape or their version of duct tape and, and whatever they could to get this thing back up and getting all the seamstresses and everybody we need is code red. Everybody here, we got to get this thing back up because that was what serviced their relationship with God. And it's in tatters. It's lying on the ground. But even we... We as Christians, we, we can struggle to, to believe that the way is completely open to us through Christ. We think, yes, there's grace. Christ has done so much and we're thankful for that. But, there, but I still need to do this and I still need to do that. 
sometimes feel we have to kind of get God to warm up to us, to have access to Him, cling to our religious hardware, we cling to our rituals so that we can approach Him. And so this is, we've, we've read a passage from Hebrews, and we're going to read another one in a moment, but this is, the writer of Hebrews is writing to these Christians who are, who are contemplating adding stuff back into grace alone and faith alone. Maybe we, sh- maybe we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Bath we still have all this religious hardware. Why can't we use it? Why don't we go back to this? And what does the writer say in Hebrews ten nineteen? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? Through a curtain? Through a physical curtain? Through, through with the rituals and hardware? No, by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened for us. We didn't, we didn't meet Him halfway. We didn't help Him you know, pry it open. No, He opened it for us through the curtain, through the veil. That is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, what is the application? Let us draw near. Let us draw near. But we can struggle to rest fully on Christ and Christ alone. Instead, we're tempted to try to rebuild our own veil in our own lives. And we, we want to be seamstresses. We can, we can constantly try to pick a veil off the ground and staple it back together and, and put it back up. And, and we want to service our relationship to God in some way other than freely through Christ. How, how do you know if you have this tendency in your heart? Well, we all do, but how, how do you recognize this? And when do you see it? Are you a seamstress? Let me just give you a few kind of thoughts, questions to help you see if this, this is in your own heart. Do you look at the imperatives of, in Scripture as the means of accessing God? Is that how you read all of those imperatives? It's depending on what you do, not what Christ has done. You might be a seamstress. Another way, do you hear do you hear, when you read the Scriptures, are you hearing God speak? Or when your conscience, and, and when you fall, do you hear God speak in angry, volatile, uh, embarrassed, uh, in, an, in an ashamed, irritated tone? Is that how you hear the Father's voice? I mean, as you, as you understand the Father speaking to you. When you, when you sin, do you imagine God like uh, some of other parents? I know this never has happened to you. You're in a restaurant and your child does something very foolish and he's acting out and he's on the ground kicking around. You look around and you're so embarrassed by all these glances and you're, you know, I can't believe this is reflecting so poorly on my parental abilities. How you see God. And then he looks at you as you're having your, as you've fallen and you've failed and you've messed up and, and he just got jaw clenched. He's embarrassed to them and he's angry and he's, he's ticked at you and he's, 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 he's saying to you with his eyes and you know exactly what he's saying. When I get home, I'm going to blister you're behind, and I'm going to send you to your room, and you're not going to come out until you clean up your act. I'm going to remove you from my presence. Is that how you think of God? Do you understand that if you are God's child, He has nothing, nothing but love in His heart for you. There is no wrath that He's clinging to, and just you pulls out everyone. He's not generally kind of affectionate towards you, but then... But then there are those moments when you just push him over the line and he is angry and he is wrathful against you. No. There's nothing left because he poured it all upon Christ in those three hours of darkness. There's nothing left. Even he does discipline us, but it's only out of love. 
for his children. Another way he recognizes tendency to be a seamstress. Do you, do you have religious hardware clinking around in your pockets? Did you? I heard some of it when you came in tonight. <laughs> and so that, what, how do we see this? It, maybe it's church attendance. Maybe this is even how you're thinking about Good Friday service. Man, I am getting some extra points with God by being here on a Friday night. I could be doing something. I could be at the restaurant. I could be watching sports. I could be doing something else. But no, I'm here, and, and you're treating, you can treat church as a way to kind of get God on your side. Or maybe it's morning devotions or something. like. You're afraid not to do them because that might just take your relationship with the Lord. Obviously, a devotional life, Bible study and prayer, that's vitally important to our walk with God. But we shouldn't do those things thinking we're gaining access to God by them. But we do them because we so enjoy the access that we have through Christ to Him. See the difference? So what does God speak? How is he, what are we listening to here? He's, he's speaking to us this torn veil. And what is He saying? Again, access is open. Draw, draw near to me. Draw near. There's another, there's more to be heard from heaven. Verse 51. And I'm just going to briefly mention these two. The, the earth shook and the rocks were split. So notice the sequence. The veil is torn, then there's an earthquake. I know our song, it actually had a backwards there and that we sang. But, but th- this, is, this is what the scripture says. So there's this earthquake. And, 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 and what is God saying through this? I think this is God just, again, he's, he's giving an exclamation point. He's showing to everybody there at the cross that this is not simply a human execution. God is in this. And he's saying to everybody there, he's saying to us, tremble, you are on shaky ground. That the cross is this dividing line. If you trust in Him, it is it full atonement is found in Him, and there is life in Him. And we're going to see that in the next thing that God says through these tombs opening it up. But He's also saying to those who've rejected Him, those who are ridiculing Him, those who have, who have crucified Him, He's saying, "You be warned. Be warned. Tremble. I am. I am here. This cross is a separation, and it it, it makes all the difference." And then the last thing, we listen to heaven. We see it in verse 52 and 53. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now this is just crazy. I mean, you you just try to picture this. But it's true. These aren't ghosts. They're not apparitions. They're not zombies. All you Sonoya folks that think that's they're everywhere. This text lays stress on the fact that, they, that, that the bodies of many dead saints were raised. Now, I, I, there's different ideas of what's going on here, but I, I think what he's describing, there are these believing Jews who have just recently died. I, I think Lazarus is kind of the paradigm for this. And this is, remember, Lazarus was just raised just a few days before this. And so these are other dead saints and who've recently died, and now they're alive again. And boy, do they have a story to tell. And, and, and they, they would go on to die again, but they were brought to life. And, and what, is, what, is, what is being said, though, through this, through these tombs opening? We're saying this. Death is dead. Death is crushed to death. And so he's, he's saying, Jesus brings life. His death brings life. God's, God's uh, um, interpreting the cross by opening these tombs and saying, this Jesus' death is a means of life. 
Last voice I want you to listen to, and then we're going to sing, and it's the soldiers. Look at verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. What do we hear from the soldiers? Believe him. Believe in him. Again, imagine being with these soldiers at the side of the cross and this crucifixion. And they've seen countless crucifixions before in their life. They've witnessed this so many times, but they've never seen or heard anything like this. And so, the, so just again, prior to this, the Jewish leaders and the and the and the, the pilgrims passing by, they've been mocking Jesus. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross, and he trusts God. Let him deliver him now if he so desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And so I think this pagan Gentile soldier, he's there and he considers all that's been said in jest. And what is his conclusion? Truly, this was the Son of God. So we need, as we sing, as we, as we even approach this coming Lord's Day as we're going to celebrate the empty tomb. We, we have to have the perspective and the understanding of what the cross is about that precedes the empty tomb. And we have God's interpretation. We listen to, to Jesus. We listen to the Son. Mission accomplished. Atonement has been made in full. We listen to heaven and God says to us that the signs, access is open. Draw near to me with confidence by the blood of Jesus. It says, fear and tremble if, if you've not received Christ and the gift of salvation that he's purchased for you. Be, be warned. He says, death is dead. Life is found in me, in my son. And then you listen to the soldiers. They say, believe Jesus is who he says he is. Let me pray. And we're going to continue to sing. Father, I pray that we would we would not um, trust our imagination to kind of come up with an explanation of the cross, but we would stake our life upon what you've said. So I, I pray that any, any lesser interpretations that we might have that dance around in our minds and in our hearts, God, and, and what Jesus accomplished, that, that he might have just been an example to us of what self-sacrifice looks like or or some other explanation, God. I pray that those things would be sponged away and we would, we would behold the cross and what our Savior accomplished there kind of through the lens of what you've, how you've interpreted it. So, Father, thank you that it's done. Thank you that there's not more sacrifices to be made, not more dying to be done, that, 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 that your wrath has been satisfied Salvation has been accomplished and secured for us through Jesus Christ. And so may we revel in that as we sing even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.